Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and this week's message is the final message from our series on mental health titled Looking Up. Today, we're going to be joining Don Bauman as he talks about God's desire to walk with us even through our darkest of moments. We'll be reading passages from Psalm 42, Psalm 142, and Galatians chapter 6, so make sure to grab your Bible and join us for this week's message. Well, good morning, and uh, if you are here from out of town, we're so glad that you're joining us this morning. A couple of additional announcements. Uh, Vern Cron wanted me to uh, remind you that uh, Ian Nacarado is being considered as a, uh, a deacon and the biblical qualifications for deacon are you can find them in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, if you've got any issues with Ian being a deacon, let him know. Uh, let Vern know right away. I sincerely doubt that there are. Um, but thank you, Ian. Uh, thank you for being willing. Uh, also, Jerry Palmer wanted you to know that um, there is going to be a new grief share group that is going to begin on Sunday, next Sunday, December 5th, from 2 to 4, right in the back room, affectionately known as B1. And uh, yeah, if you, um, you know, if you're dealing with grief, holidays can be a real challenge. And so uh, that's why the, the group is uh, getting going again right away. So just wanted to let you know that. Um, August 4th, 2020 was a beautiful summer day in Beirut. In fact, a team from Hilltop, we'd been there less than a year previously. And uh, people that we know over there were just going about their business, enjoying the day, getting ready for the evening. Now, unbeknownst to everyone but a few government officials, there was a warehouse down on the dock. In fact, we probably walked past it. That was packed full of 2,700 tons, tons of ammonium nitrate fertilizer. And on August 4th, uh, in the afternoon, a fire broke out. And at 6 p.m., that warehouse ignited and the explosion devastated the city. And we have a video update that was made a year afterwards. And uh, it, many people in it, we, we know personally, they survived, but they obviously were traumatized by that whole experience. And it fits right in with the message today. to Abese uh, and then like five minutes after we, we reached there the explosion happened uh, I was running with the kids uh, back home walking and you know I, I can't describe to you what we saw on the road and when we reached home the biggest uh, you know shock was there also to see everything down the day before the explosion it's not like the day after the explosion احنا بعدنا لهلا مش واقعيني بعدنا لهلا النقزة موجودة الخوف موجود الرعب موجود الضغط النفسي بعده موجود الانفجار هيدا 
أكتر ما عمل دمار اللي هو دمار شامل يعني عملنا دمار نفسي بعدنا لهلا عايشينه Since the explosion, uh, things have been going really uh, from bad to worse with the uh, political and economic situation in the, in the country, uh, which left people uh, feeling angry, traumatized, feeling resentment towards government and uh, every responsible person. بعد جمعة تقريبا شفت إلي إلي الحاج وكان عم يسألني كم سؤال وكان في حدا قيل له إنه أنا بيتي كمان مدمر. في مطرح المطارح كنت عايز غلطين ثلاثة وسأبت إنه صار في اتصال مع لانيو وهن الأمن وليهم علاقة هون بلشت إنه بس نزلت على الأنيو يعني توقعت إنه أنا نازل أخذ غرض وفل أوكي هذا الشيء اللي صار اللي صار إنه استقبلوني عائلتي أنا هيك بعد بالكمية يعني كمية المحبة اللي استقبلوني فيها بهالمعرفة الصغيرة هذا الشيء كتير حلو عم تتلاقى مع حدا من فريق؟ أنا كل جمعة بتلاقى مع إلي الحاج وإيام حضرتك بتكون وبصراحة أجمل أعداد عم بتكون لأنه عم بكون مبسوط فيها This gave us access to people's homes as we came to visit and assess their situations The Lord started opening one door after the other by renovating 132 homes, we could go to families and be with them during their times of pain and struggle. Not only by fixing their homes, but by being with them, reading the word of God and praying, by taking children to camps and by healing the brokenhearted. Thank God that uh, through the prayer group, uh, you know, the ladies in Dubai who were calling to make sure that we're still alive, uh, after some time they connected me to you. Uh, and this is how it started my relationship with NEO. You did not stop helping, first of all. Uh, from the moment that we got in touch, you helped on all fronts, emotionally, financially, uh, morally, all kinds of support, you name it. And this relationship is growing day after day. I joined NEO shortly after the explosion of the uh, port of Beirut. We believe that what happened in life, all circumstances are opportunities for us. We are blessed to be with these families during the time of struggle and pain. And at the same time, we are blessed to see and witness how the Lord start healing their hearts. Each one did something in response to the catastrophe. Some of you gave supplies, some of you gave for food, some of you gave for logistics, and some of you gave and funded trauma sessions, trauma healing sessions that serve thousands and thousands of people. Not only victims, but people who are serving victims as well. Our journey together is far from over because the adventure with Christ is far from over. For me, every day this country and the world is slipping into one more crisis. Pandemic, wars, this and that, and inflations. And you can hear the news every day, and Jesus gave us heads up from the beginning. And this is where we are called to go in, in the opposite direction. When people are running away, the people of God go in the opposite direction. Because there's only one answer to all this. And I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual. 
The one answer is Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Thank you for your partnership. I look forward for many, many, many more years of this partnership. God bless you many folds. And um, Hilltop uh, recently was able to uh, send along kind of an over and above gift because of your generosity. We sent uh, $2,000. Now, uh, $2,000 is going to go a long way. Uh, our, our 6% inflation, we're kind of feeling it. Imagine what 173% inflation is like. That's what has happened in Lebanon since that explosion. And so we sent over uh, 2,000 and then an additional 1,000 for um, the, the pastor and his wife that Courtney have, has worked with uh, in the city of Tyre. And they reach out to the Syrian refugee community, which is at the bottom of the barrel, uh, so to speak. So uh, for many in Beirut, August 4th was the day their mental health crisis began. They've been reacting to that trauma. They know many of them. Obviously, God is bringing about healing, as we saw. Uh, but many of them, even those who know Jesus, are dealing with panic, fear, and depression. A pastor uh, from Utah that several of us had the opportunity to meet uh, a couple months ago, he described for us a mental health crisis that he went through that lasted uh, almost a year. And uh, he, a combination of factors just came together in his life. Not a moral failure, uh, but stress and isolation and physical exhaustion. And they all combined to uh, bring him into a mental state that he described as a shipwreck. He felt alone isolated, abandoned, and as the days went on, uh, hope of deliverance from this shipwreck faded as if he was floating out in the ocean. And the shipwreck took him to places he never thought he would go, like doubting his own salvation and even thoughts of ending his own life. Now, Jesus has rescued that pastor from his shipwreck, and he's using his experience to encourage others. But these two examples are why we're addressing this issue biblically, because it is common for believers to struggle with mental health issues. I mean, and we, you know, we don't think it's unusual if we get sick physically. Why should we uh, be, you know, surprised? when there are mental health issues that we experience. And they can be brought on by a whole variety of reasons. Some, like the, the folks in Beirut, they're reacting to a trauma that occurs. And if you've served in the military, you, you, that may be what you're dealing with. If you suffered abuse as a kid, you may be dealing with, with that. Um, your biochemistry may be out of whack. There may be a real illness that you're, that you're dealing with. Um, th there's just a whole variety of reasons. Uh, the crisis may be due to our own choices. Uh, if we've engaged in addictive behaviors they can bring on a mental health crisis. 
but shame prevents us from getting help. Shame prevents us from even recognizing we're struggling, much less getting help. And uh, as a result, things build and build and build until a crisis occurs, a shipwreck. And believers, many believers, labor under false assumptions about their mental struggles. They, they, they place themselves on a, what I would call a spectrum of failure. And they say, I'm struggling because I'm failing in my walk with Jesus. And, and my, my failure may be just, oh, okay, I, I have to try hard enough to, uh, I don't even know if I'm a Christian at all. And then there's the, the response of, okay, I, I just have to try harder. And you know how that worked out, right? Or uh, people that I know, my fellow believers, they're going to judge me if they know that I'm struggling. And on that point, they may be right. That's another point of this, this uh, series is that needs to change. And um, both of the Psalms that we'll read today, written by King David, uh, Psalm 42 and 142, um, they both detail pretty vividly what it's like to walk with God in the middle of a mental health crisis. And it should be crystal clear as we read these that believers in God struggle at times with their mental health. And there should be no shame in admitting that that struggle is there or in giving or receiving help. So let's look to God's word for encouragement and strength and direction. Lord Jesus, we are just so thankful that you are always, always with us. We are thankful that you did Everything to make it possible to have a relationship with you through faith in you. And because of that relationship, we're never, ever alone. You suffered abandonment so that we would not. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to, to us through your word today and encourage us if we're struggling with a mental health issue now, or help equip us so we know how to help those who are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Psalm 42 says that it's written, uh, it's a maskeel, and that means it's a, it's a psalm that you're meant to think about. And the more you think about it, it's supposed to teach its stuff. Okay, both, both 42 and 142 are called maskeels. And it says that this is a maskeel for the sons of Korah. Sons of Korah were um, musicians. So this was turned into a worship song. Uh, but it's pretty clear it was written by King David. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this. As I pour out my heart 
How I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan from, and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must they go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, in the first couple of verses, uh, desiring God like a deer desires water, that sounds like a pretty good thing, you know? I mean, you know, we all want to desire God, but this deer is panting after water. It's not being very successful. It's panting after water, and deer are pretty good at finding it. So this is a drought, just like now, here. There's this drought, and this deer, who's usually adept at finding water, is not finding it. And that's what David is saying. He's saying, God, I desire you, but I can't find you. In the midst of this, this crisis that I'm going through, when will I see you, God? I'm like a deer looking for water in a drought, and I'm not finding it. There are times when God may seem distant or aloof or maybe not even there. But remember, our perception of God can be distorted by the crisis that we're in. Tuck that away. Uh, in fact, that's why we're looking at two psalms today, is we want to see patterns. We want to see things that are pointed out about going through a mental health crisis so that we know either, <laughs> we know how to respond when we're in one or when a friend or loved one is in one. That's one of them, is our perception of God may be off. In verses 3 through 5, we quickly see that there is a crisis going on. David is crying. He says, I'm, I, my tears are my food day and night. He's in constant emotional turmoil while others undercut and even mock his faith in God. Well, how's this trusting in God working out for you, buddy? He's really helping you out, isn't he? Now, as, as David searches for God and doesn't seem to find him, memories flood his mind of better times, of times when he was really walking with God and he knew it, and that just makes the depression worse, right? Thinking about how much better things were, it just drives him further and further into the hole. And uh, he's thinking, boy, I used to lead procession of worship and, and we would all praise God together. And now look at me. 
And then in verse 5, he repeats, a, he says an important thought, and it's so important he comes back to it at the end of the psalm. He's talking to himself, so that means you and I aren't the only ones that do that. <laughs> he says, why am I so upset and depressed? Hope in God, for I will still or I will yet praise him. David says, I'm upset and I'm depressed, even though I don't completely understand the reason why. But I can hope in God in the middle of that depression. And that's really important. And this, is, this hope is not kind of the wishful thinking kind of like, I hope, gee, I hope this works out, but I'm pretty sure it won't. That's not what hope in the Bible means at all. It means a absolute confidence in God that will produce patient waiting. And that waiting, that waiting while this crisis endures and knowing that God is there is what walking in the spirit looks like when you're going through depression. It, it, and it doesn't mean you're going to experience this wonderful emotional high. But that little sliver of light is God in the midst of, of your suffering. And David says, I'll praise him uh, yet again. And, and he's being honest here. He's saying, you know, I, emotionally, I can't praise God right now. I can't just pretend that I'm all happy because I'm not but I know that I will. I know that I someday will because God is faithful. And so hope in God in the midst of a crisis is, is the, the key to remembering that he's there because we can forget that he's there. Just, just like David said, you know, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for you, God, but I'm not finding you. Remember the example of that pastor. Where are you, God? That can happen when we're in the middle of a crisis. And in verses 6 through 8, David is remembering a time when he was up in northern Israel. Today it's in southern Lebanon. It's the Golan Heights area, southern Lebanon. Um, it's the headwaters of the Jordan River, and it's near Mount Hermon. And he is, is saying, you know, I remember you. I remember you, God. And just like he was comparing, right? He's saying, boy, I, things used to be a whole lot better. And he was remembering the times when he was joyful and it just made him feel a little worse. He's doing the same thing again, right? He's saying, I remember when I was, you know, spiritually I was on top of Mount Hermon. That's a 9,200-foot mountain. It's the tallest one in the area. And he's saying, right now I'm on Mount Mitzar. Mitzar means small. So I'm on this little molehill compared to Mount Hermon. You know, I'm, it's like I've, I've hiked up Hot Springs Mountain, but I'm remembering when I was on top of Job's Peak. Right? And, and an important thing that David is remembering is that even though emotionally I'm on this molehill, you're still with me, God, in the same way that you were when I was way, way better than I am right now. That's a breakthrough. That's a breakthrough. 
There's a lot of waterfalls at the headwaters of the Jordan, and in verse 7, he, he talks about the sound of them. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. And, and it reminds him of God's power, but he's saying, you know, I, I kind of feel like I'm at the bottom of that waterfall right now. You know, David had obviously seen uh, waves on the Mediterranean. He's saying, I, I, I feel like I'm getting sucked out by the undertow. I'm getting blasted by that waterfall. All your waves and your billows have swept over me. Now, he's not blaming God for his trouble. But he's saying, God, you know. You know all about this. These are your waves and your billows. You're, you're kind of permitting them to happen. You could deliver me out of the trouble, but instead you're with me in the middle of it. You're with me as I'm kind of <laughs> rolling around in that water. You're there. That's a breakthrough. And from our perspective, we know that Jesus experienced suffering so that he could come to our aid. And, and walking with Jesus through times of suffering is just part of the mystery of our life now. We know that he will redeem everything when he comes back. And you kind of go, well, Lord, why? Why do you let the evil and, and just in its, all its randomness, you know, think of that. Think of that Christmas parade in Wisconsin. God, why do you just let horrible, evil things like that still happen? And, and we don't know the answer to that. Well, we know in that he is, he keeps calling. There's more people that need to come to know him. The time isn't up yet. He wants more and more people to come to know him. And he doesn't necessarily keep evil from happening, but he shows up. He shows up in the middle of that trouble. And we go through trouble, but we are never abandoned in it. And that's because Jesus was abandoned. When he became sin for us, when Jesus became, uh, when he took on himself the burden of all our sins, of all, <laughs> of all of time, and he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned. And he was abandoned so that we never, ever will be. Now, verse 8, in the middle of, of all this, it's like, <laughs> have you ever ridden an emotional roller coaster? Uh, that's what David is describing here, right? Uh, here, everything's fine in verse 8. And uh, he recognizes God. He recognizes you're here. And uh, he says, God actually commands a blessing during the daytime. He commands his goodness and mercy. And then at night, when we're all more vulnerable to uh, racing thoughts and to sleeplessness, uh, his song is with us. And he says it's a, it's a song of worship, too. And he uses a term of endearment. He says, God, my life. You're God, my life. And that's exactly what Colossians 3 says. He says, Christ is our life. And so uh, here he is. God 
His unseen presence is the reality of our life, no matter what we're going through. But things change quickly again in the, in the last three verses. Uh, in verse 9 begins, uh, David refers to God as God my rock. Another term of endearment. But look what he says. Why have you forgotten me? Huh? <laughs> God's your rock, the one you trust, but he's forgotten you? Really? Well, that's because... Things have changed for David already. And, and when we're going through an emotional crisis, uh, that's what life can look like, right? And, and we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. And he says that a fresh attack is underway. Uh, my adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones. Whoa! Uh, he couldn't put it more vividly. That is an excruciating, immobilizing attack with physical consequences. And we all know what the, the bad effect of stress on our health. And David is describing that. And there's also a spiritual assault, an echo of verse 3. While all day long they say to me, where is your God? Huh? And they can be other people. They can be our own thoughts. They can be spiritual forces of wickedness attacking us. And then he returns to the thought he expressed in verse 4. Why am I so depressed and upset? He, he still doesn't understand. And you know what? We don't have to understand in order to do something about it. Put your hope in God. Rest in that quiet assurance that God knows and he's there. He, and he isn't just, hmm, too bad you're going through that. Sorry. No, he's there to help. He's there. His presence is that unseen reality in our life, no matter what we're going through. And I will still praise him. God's going to get me through this. He may not deliver me from it, but he's going to get me through it because he's going to walk right there alongside me. And he ends the psalm with another in term of endearment, my Savior and my God. And the word Savior in Hebrew is Yeshua. That's the name of Jesus. Jesus is our Savior and our God, and we can trust him. So from this psalm, we, the writer shows that God never leaves us at any time, but especially when we're going through a crisis. But even though God never leaves us, it's best if we don't go through something like this alone, as the next two passages show. Now, even though Psalm 142 is a uh, higher number, it was written way earlier in David's life. Uh, he wasn't even king yet. He was a young man uh, being chased by King Saul. And uh, that happened in two times where he, he was being chased, and so he sought refuge in a cave. One of them was uh, in a cave called Adullam, which is to the west of Jerusalem. And then there's another called En. Gedi, which is right down near the Dead Sea, and it kind of looks like a cool place to visit because there's an oasis there, but uh, probably not under these circumstances. And so here is uh, David's psalm that he wrote when he was in a cave. And again, listen for common themes, for insights into how to walk with God when you're going through a mental health crisis. 
I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. Along this path I travel, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, no one stands up for me. There's no refuge for me. No one cares about me. I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am very weak. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Free me from prison so I can praise your name. The righteous will gather around me because you deal generously with me. So in this crisis where David is running from King Saul and hiding in a cave, uh, as a young man, he finds himself alone, weak, vulnerable, trapped, as you would feel if you were in a cave. Good analogy for how uh, we can feel sometimes. But despite... Despite his predicament, David continues to communicate with God, which is really important to either remember or remind someone. Okay? Uh, he, in fact, he communicates in four ways, just in the first two verses. He cries aloud to God. That's like a spiritual 911 call. Help! He pleads for mercy. He begs God to show him his favor. He pours out his complaint. I love this one. Uh, pouring out is, is just, he's just letting it spill out of him. And the word complaint can be just that, but it can also be talk, even babble. And uh, it, it, it's saying that the Lord hears us even when we and our thoughts are disorganized, even incoherent. And that is such a relief when we're going through a crisis. And he says, I reveal my trouble. There's like no holding back. There's no high. Why would you hide or fake when you're talking to God? But, but he's saying there's, uh, I, I'm fully disclosing to the Lord what I know about why I feel the way I do. Now, David didn't do all four of these things at the same time, uh, but it shows that he communicated with God through constantly fluctuating moods. Now, in, in verse 3, he says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. Uh, the, my spirit is weak, he's saying, I am emotionally exhausted. There's nothing left. I am on empty. And at that moment, when we have nothing left at all, God knows the path that we're on. And it isn't just, to hear the similarities with the other song, uh, it isn't just that he knows, but he's there. He is there, even if we don't recognize that he's there. And, and eventually he'll get us to the place, just like that pastor got him to the place where he recognized, once again, God is there. But there's still trouble. Along this path I travel, they've hidden a trap for me. Now, uh, David was being pursued by Saul's soldiers. And we can face, I, I mean, you might have, you know, people that are, 
after you, but that's much less likely. Much, what's probably much more likely is your own thoughts, your anxieties, spiritual attack. And David, in verse 4, he says, this is, this is how alone and abandoned I feel. He, he, says, he says the word look. It should have a lot of exclamation points by it. Because that's, that's the emphasis there. Look, see for yourself. Uh, uh, look to the right and see no one stands for me. Now, in, in uh, Hebrew culture, a, an advocate would stand on the right side of a person in order to defend them from accusations. And David is saying, there's no one there. There's no one to advocate for me. I have no one on my side. And there's no one to speak for me in an honorable way. And in that honor-shame culture that the Bible was written in, if there is no one to speak for you in an honorable way, shame is the inevitable result. And so for David, the worst-case scenario is about to happen. Uh, I am alone, and I'm subject to shame. He says there's no refuge, there's no place of escape, there's no relief from the stress that, that, uh, that I'm experiencing. This um, constant oppression from anxiety can be draining. No one cares for me. Now, that statement is both wholly accurate and completely wrong at the same time. It's accurate in that it's describing how David feels, but it's, it misses God's perspective entirely because... Uh, God cares for us no matter how we're feeling. And when you're in the midst of a crisis, it's important to realize your perspective may be off. And God will often show up through other people who will speak his truth with love into your life. And uh, the, these people should neither lecture or scold you or shame you, but neither should they attend your pity party with you. Okay, we want to be one of those people. And again, in verses five through seven, David cries out to God, and that's a positive step. That's an answer to prayer. You are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living. While, while I'm breathing air, you're the only place of refuge that I have. And you can just sense some relief as David experiences a break from the relentless stress he had been under. And in verses 6 and 7, he makes three requests of, of God. He says, uh, listen to my cry, rescue me from those much stronger than me, and free me from prison. Listen, he's like, he's saying, pay attention to me. Now that sounds kind of childish, but God understands when we're, how we feel when we are distraught. Rescue me, snatch me out of the grip of, of my pursuers, for they're stronger than me. Again, the pursuers for David were real people, but they can be our negative thoughts. They can be thoughts uh, in response to one of our flesh patterns that say, ha, you think you're a new person in Christ. You haven't changed at all. This is who you really are. Uh, can also be spiritual attack. And again, only God can break those looping thoughts uh, 
those oppressive voices with his spirit. And that's what walking in the spirit looks like when you are depressed, is trusting God's power over those things that are oppressing you. And then the psalm ends with an expected answer. The righteous will gather around me because you deal generously with me. The, this answer hasn't happened. Uh, but remember, not much earlier in this psalm, David had no hope at all. And now he's got hope. And he's imagining the reception he'll get from others when they hear of his deliverance from his crisis. Now, uh, if you've ever been around teenagers, when somebody they haven't seen in a long time is there, and, they, and, and you just watch them, they just cluster right around each other, right? I remember that from my teaching days, as there's little clusters of, uh, of teens all around, you know, uh, uh, for I, either to sympathize or to be happy with somebody. And he's saying, that's what's going to happen. People are going to gather around me. And that's the reception we should give someone who comes through a mental health crisis. We shouldn't shame them. In fact, we should have been walking along beside them the whole way so that we can thank God with them. You deal generously with me. Wow. A right perspective of God has been restored. David once again realizes who God is. And, and remember, a distorted view of God frequently accompanies a mental health crisis. And so how will God accomplish this change in perspective when we need it? Well, he can do it by himself. He certainly uses his word, but most often he uses you and me to show up in the lives of others. And, and we're going to conclude by looking briefly at, at a couple verses from Galatians. And the whole point of Paul's letter to the Galatians was, we are made right by faith in Jesus, not by following the law, not by following a list of rules, not by being good enough. And if you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, may this be the day that you do it. Because there really is a, a distance between you and God. He doesn't want there to be. And that distance will evaporate when you believe in Jesus. And so Paul is... is um, He's been tough on the Galatians throughout the whole letter. And he's tough on them again in chapters 5 and 6. He's saying, you know, we walk by the Spirit. We don't just follow a list of rules. And uh, don't get all full of yourself. Don't be thinking of how high and mighty you are because you're such a great Christian. And don't look down your nose at this person who's struggling. And doesn't that summarize our reaction to those with mental health issues? Boy, I'm glad I'm not like that person. Huh. He says, get off your high horse. And instead, if there's a person, he's, he, now he's going to a, a, a sin. And mental health issues often are not a sin at all. He says, go and restore that person. Don't get all full of yourself. Go restore that person in, with a sense of meekness. And then in verse 2, he says something that, that applies in this situation uh, a lot. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
The law of Christ is we love God and we love others like ourselves. And that is fulfilled as we, through the Spirit's strength, carry others' burdens. And the word that he uses here is pretty significant. The word for burden is a crushing load. It's a load that no one can carry. And I think a mental health crisis qualifies. And the way God shows up and what an answer to prayer looks like when we're in crisis is there's going to be God's people who show up and they're ready to carry that burden with you. And, and that's, we want to be one of those people. And if, we, if we're going through a crisis, we don't want to push the people, the very people away that God is sending to us. And, and, and again, in verses 3 and 4, Paul chews out the Galatians for, you know, don't get all conceited and all that. And he says, for each of us will carry our own load. And that's a completely different word. It means it, it's a backpack size. It's manageable. And so we have the picture that, all right, here's the brother or sister in need under a crushing load. And we show Jesus love by helping Bear that load until it diminishes in size and it becomes more backpack sized. It's something that they can carry. So mental health crises happen in our lives. They just do. They're neither a source of shame nor of spiritual deficiency. And they happen for a whole host of reasons and we may never understand why. And again, like that pastor that described his crisis as a shipwreck, our trouble may last longer and take us to places that we never wanted to go. But Jesus is there in the middle of it. And his spirit will help us wait patiently while the crisis endures. And he will show us that he's there by sending along his people. And we want to be one of those people. So if we're going through a crisis, we can be encouraged by this. If we know someone who is, we, we want to reach out to them. Uh, we, and there's many, many things we can do. First, we can respond. We can show them that we're not ashamed. We're not ashamed of them since they're struggling. Remember, shame is probably the biggest obstacle that stands between a person and receiving help. We can be the voice outside of themselves to restore perspective uh, if we're allowed to do so. We can urge them to get the help that they need. And, and finally, we can bear their burden in many, many practical ways and show Jesus' love. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, we are... Uh, in awe of you, we thank you for your faithful love. We, we just ask that our perspective of you would be, would be right in line with your word. Uh, thank you that you are always there. Uh, bring to mind uh, a, someone we know who is struggling so that we might walk beside them. And, and might we uh, just draw our strength throughout enti our entire lives from you. And we are dismissed in the mighty and wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope this message brought hope and positive steps that you can take towards seeking God and knowing his peace. 
If you are someone who is experiencing depression or thoughts of suicide for any number of reasons, please know that you are not alone and that help is always available. If you need help or support or would like some prayer, please text us or call us anytime at 775-984-8787. Additionally, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week and can be reached by phone at 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. Next week, we will begin our Christmas series titled Hope, and we'll discuss waiting on God's timing. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we are so glad that you are a part of the family.